If you're looking to save some money on your wireless plan, take a look at Visible Wireless. They're a transparent wireless carrier with nothing to hide. If you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible where you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. One-line wireless, just 25 bucks a month with taxes and fees included. That's unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Switch now at Visible.com. You shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. Like Visible, the wireless company making wireless visible. Monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief, Sierra 117, and you're listening to Podcast Unlocked, the world's number one Xbox podcast. Now, finish this fight. Master Chief, out. Welcome everybody to Podcast Unlocked, episode 536 for March 22nd, 2022, aka one week post-release of the latest Xbox exclusive, latest and greatest, that being Tunic. I'm Ryan McCaffrey, joined by Stella Chung. Hi, Stella. Hello. Destin Legary, how are you, my friend? Doing well. Also, bam. Hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and the creator of Tunic, Andrew Shuldice. Thanks so much for coming on, Andrew. Uh, hi, thank you. Well, I've been looking forward to this for a while. Uh, we've all been looking forward to your game for a while. And that's uh, just to give the quick overview before uh, we start asking you some questions. Tunic is out right now on Xbox and Steam. You can also just play it on Game Pass. So it's just right there for you if you so choose to get it that way. But feel free to purchase it as well, certainly. And it currently has, I just, uh, just took a quick look, a Metacritic rating of 85 uh, I'll ask you about reviews and whether or not you pay attention to them in a second, Andrew. But first of all, I just kind of want to ask you how you're feeling. I mean, you've spent many years on this game. We've all been waiting for it for quite some time, and you've been working hard on it mostly by yourself. So how's your state of mind? How are you doing right now? Uh, <clears throat> it's it's a little surreal uh, spending seven years trying to make something and thinking like, uh this is terrible. Um, how how can you make a video game that doesn't tell people what to do um, and expect them to do what you want them to do? Uh, it's it's sort of strange. Like I had I had zero expectation of the reception that it's received, and it's it's really heartwarming. So Andrew, it sounds like you uh, didn't like have mock reviews done ahead of time. That I mean, you must have had like maybe friends play it that had to give you some kind of idea that this was going to be received very well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I love my friends deeply, but you can't trust your friends. Uh, they can tell you that it's great, uh, but there's that little voice in your head that says, ah, but they found these problems and who knows, and maybe they're just being nice. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we did, 
things were going well internally. You know, we did playtesting, QA was looking at it, and things were going pretty well. And I was starting to think, like, you know what, maybe maybe we made a cool thing. But I was not prepared for um, uh, how kind folks have been to the game. Do you, do you remember the specific point in time when you were like, you know what, I think I might have something here? Like, was it early on in concepting, or like, at what point were you like, okay, yeah, this is it, this is something? So I long-winded answer, but before I started working on this game, I had this, you know, internal model of making games. And I realized I wouldn't ever finish anything unless I had some constraints. So I thought like, okay, there's this, you know, game jam situation where you are forced to have constraints. You need to finish something. And I noticed that there was sort of a tipping point working on a game jam. You know, maybe it came partway through Saturday on a weekend thing where you, where you think, Okay, I get yes, this this is something now. And you can see how everything sort of fits together and it sort of becomes a real video game. And I was waiting for that to happen with this over the course of years. And what I've realized is that it just doesn't happen. It's a series of much smaller revelations where you think, ah, this this one small part is good. And in a game jam, there's really usually only one small part. And so when that comes together, it comes together. But with something larger, it just takes patience. You've got to have all these individual things. So especially closer to launch, I found myself saying, oh, it feels like a real video game now. And usually that had to do with stuff that I wasn't working on, like audio, for instance, like or the soundtrack being added. And it feels, wow, this is it's a real deal, you know? Um, so sort of a, a series of small moments. But again, uh, it it only really became real when when we pushed that go button last Wednesday. I have to ask one more question for you. You brought up the soundtrack. Do you have a favorite track from your game? Uh, that's a good question. Um, so soundtrack available now from uh, the phenomenal Life Formed, um, uh, Terrence Lee and Janice Kwan. Get it now on Bandcamp as well as a number of other places. And I fired it up, you know, games out, sitting down, it's the weekend, turn on the soundtrack. And after having listened to it many, many, many times while playing the game, it still rips. Like it's so good, <laughs> um, and I feel like I can say that with enthusiasm because I basically had no part in it. Right? We offered a little bit of direction. Most of the audio direction was was Kevin Regami, the audio designer. Um, but I don't know if I've got an absolute favorite. They they came up with some very clever names for uh, the titles of the songs. Which is neat because I again had no input on that, and so there, are, you know, oblique hints and sort of allusions to the story of the game and, and things like that um, that are really good. But but um, I think it might be the very last track. It's whatever um, the track is that's used for, well, without spoilers, one of the credit sequences of the game, and I like that one. It was stuck in my head all like launch week, and I think it's. It was appropriate this sort of sense of finality you know this moment of like oh, okay done cool stella do you want to jump in yeah uh so because you worked on this mostly by yourself was that a decision that you made like is it because you wanted to oversee the direction yourself like uh i know when i take on edits i'm just like no i want to do this because i, I know exactly what i'm envisioning I want, I want this direction is that kind of your what, what was your thought process behind taking this project on mostly by yourself yeah, totally. That that was exactly it from from the start. I worked in a studio where, you know, I was a part of uh, a larger team. Um, it was still very small. We were making casual games, and I thought, oh, I really want to make a game that I, you know, that I'm in control of. You know, I I love doing 
effects and I even like doing UI and design. This is all fun. I, I can do all of this. And uh, pretty soon realized that I couldn't. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't know, I guess you'd like primary developer is what you might call me on it, but there is uh, a number of other people who uh, are working on the game either from very near the start um, or brought on as as things went. Uh, I already mentioned uh, Lifeformed, Janice Kwan, Terrence Lee, who did the soundtrack, Kevin Regami of Power Up Audio. Um, they were all brought on pretty early because I know very little about music and sound, uh, and uh, they've contributed greatly. And then also um, one of one of the things that I realized, like you said, oh, I want to control all the things. You know, I can I can do this. I want, you know. Um, you know, a- absolute uh, knob fiddliness. And there, I realized that there are so many more knobs to fiddle when making games that are not knobs that are in the game itself. So business stuff, you know, who, who you should be speaking to. How do you get a game to a show? How do you do contract negotiation? Um, what's the process for localization? All these sorts of things. And so uh, Felix Kramer and later on Finji, the publisher, uh, helped take on those things that I didn't even know, like fully understand that I needed to, to consider early on. And uh, most recently, uh, Eric Billingsley came on to, you know, sort of cross some T's and dot some I's as far as um, decorating the world. And he ended up doing a lot of uh, more than that, a lot of things like um, optimization and uh, bug fixing and some visual effects as well. So he contributed greatly as well, all of which is to say, um, it's not really a solo project. It might have started that way, but over the years, uh, a lot of people have been added to it. Was there anybody in your life that told you either, A, yes, you are going to crush this, awesome, like a lot of encouragement, or, or did were there people in your life that, that cautioned you that this might be crazy to, <laughs> to try and do this whole thing? Uh, with with you know largely yourself and then adding a kind of a small circle of of help around you. Yeah. Um, y- yes. Um, uh, both of them were me <laughs> saying uh, no. This is a terrible idea, and no, you definitely need to do this. Um, yeah. No, my friends and family were were very supportive, especially because it was a um, sort of like no, I I've decided I am going to do this. If I don't do this now, when am I going to do it? Um, you know, quit my job, start making a video game. Um, there is definitely the, 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 the parents like, oh, oh, okay. Is this, this seems things are going well, it's good. Right. Uh, over the years. And, uh, but they've been, they've been very supportive as well, but yeah, there was definitely a period at the very start where it's, um, real soul searching, uh, needed to be done about whether or not this was a good idea. And I, I can't, I mean, obviously for me, I like to think that things have worked out. I'm, I'm very happy with the end result, but it's not. I don't think I can offer this as um, wise advice for anybody. You know, it's uh, not necessarily. Uh, I think there's a lot of uh, uh, good fortune involved in in a situation like this. Well, speaking have- of the beginning, I'm, I'm going to guess uh, that the Zelda games were somewhat foundational in your life. Yeah, for sure. Um, specifically, some of those very early ones. Like, I, I don't think I played. Zelda one until a little bit later in life, but it was at a point where I was able to play it and sort of feel that and, and maybe understand a little bit that sense of mystery. Like here's just a giant world, go out there and explore. Um, played a weird amount of uh, Zelda two as a kid, never really got all that far, but it similarly was this, um, feeling of, 
a big hostile space with mechanics you might understand and uh oh actually and uh an instruction manual mm-hmm. uh <laughs> nice yeah i, I noticed um, that in the menus i was like oh wow that's cool uh, yeah, this is uh, th- those those games, in particular the uh, the instruction manuals of them, definitely were a big inspiration. I, I have sort of a weird question for you: Why a fox of all the animals you could have chosen? <laughs> um, it's good, good question. Uh, so early on, I was not super confident in my three D modeling skills, so <laughs> I wasn't able to, or was not confident enough to do something like make an actual person even if it was cartoonish that, you know, all sorts of questions get raised. Like, you know, what does this person look like? What is their gender? That sort of thing. And it it was much easier. I'm not going to make a character creator. I'm just going to have this entirely ambiguous, um, probably anthropomorphized animal character. Uh, and I don't, I don't think I spent a whole lot of time thinking before it's just like, Oh, Fox. Okay. Easy. Let's go. Um, and that, uh, seems to have worked out because, uh, foxes are a lot more popular than I, than I thought. Um, Anytime there's a new Fox game, it's like, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, no one of those. Uh, and, uh, they also have this sort of, uh, get up to mischief sort of vibe, I, I think. And I've, I've mentioned it elsewhere as well, but, um, I would like to say that I'm a, you know, masterful designer who saw this from the very beginning, but <laughs> the nature of the combat where it's this sort of like camera tilt top down three quarters sort of thing means that, uh, what your character's facing becomes important. And if you've got a fox with this enormous head, that's basically an arrow and a big bushy tail orientation and positioning, facing that sort of thing becomes a lot more um, visually distinguishable quickly. I didn't even think about that. That's so smart. Uh, so I do, I do have a selfish question. Um, are you ever going to come out with plushies of this fox? Because I, I really love plushies, as you can tell, and I, I would absolutely love to add him to to the roster. I, I see him back. I see two of them back there. Where are these? Where are these for sale, Andrew? Uh, no, you you see nothing. No, these are. Um, so this one down here, it's, uh, I, I'm mirrored, so it's a little bit hard. Oh, there we go. There it um, it's actually from my friend Julia, who made that. It's so oh sort of like God. a congratulations. This one is a just a generic fox. So it turns out if you start making a game about a fox, uh, mm-hmm. that's like bumps way to the top of every gift list from like, you know, like, oh, it's the guy's making a fox. I know what to get him for his birthday, um, <laughs> which is very sweet. But at, to answer the question, we do not have anything lined up right now as far as physical merchandise goes, aside from the things that are available on the store at uh, finji.co, such as pins and t-shirts and things. However, there has been a lot of demand for some sort of Fox plush. So maybe there will be something in the future. Stay tuned, I guess. That was the, Stella. That was the, the key question of the interview. I had it on the list. I'm glad you got there. Oh, yeah, this, no, uh, that, that, honestly, that's, that's, that's what I really wanted. That was my burning question. So I, I can rest easy for a little <laughs> you bit. You and me so. both. You and me both. You should see, uh, Andrew, you should see my daughter's bedroom upstairs. It's just like, it's like rows of, she would flip out for that. But I want, I want a, a tunic just for my backdrop here. So <laughs> yeah. just c- consider these a couple more requests from IGN is to throw them on the, on the pile. Um, you know, I wanted to ask just where the idea of this game came from. You know, you talked about making this decision that, you know, you'd been at a casual game developer and you wanted to do something for yourself, a game you wanted to play. So can you take me, take us to the, the sort of the genesis of this project? Sure. Um, the, 
I, I've always wanted to make a game about mystery, and that's a very vague term for this specific feeling of looking at a world and seeing it as being full of possibility, you know, and that feeling that when you do, whenever a mystery stops becoming a mystery, like you learn something about the world, it's not a dead end, but it suggests more things. So, you know, the, the typical example being, imagine you've never played a video game before and you sit down and you're playing, I don't know, Zelda one or something, and you bomb a wall by accident. And now there's a secret passage there or something or, or a shop. The, the idea now that, oh, I, A, have learned that there's a shop there, that's cool. But B, I have learned that wa every wall in the world now is a question mark. Hmm. What else is this game trying to hide from me? And that feeling of, uh, the, the quote that always comes into my head is, uh, wait, this was here the whole time. Uh, and things like, uh, wait, what are the, what are the implications of this? What does this mean? Like those having a world that's full of those sorts of things are the sorts of games that are most exciting to me. And, uh, I started experimenting with isometric, uh, perspective, um, games and moving around in those spaces and the lighting of those sorts of spaces. And it's, that's the point where it was like, okay, this is a good, um, space within which to explore that feeling of mystery. Justin, uh, oh Stella, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to ask. So, are there? So you're you're mentioning like secret walls and stuff, which uh, I I'm sure you're following Elden Ring news, which players have been discovering that sort of thing too. Um, how many of these like secret walls or secrets uh, can players go past and never discover in this game? And uh, like, if they go through a second playthrough, can they find that? Like, how how many of these secret things are there? Uh, lots and lots, um, <laughs> without giving anything away. Part of the design philosophy of this game is that you can miss stuff. A, a discovery is a genuine discovery because it's possible that you would have missed it. And that sort of pattern, uh, I think, helps in a few ways. Number one, it makes the player understand that they've really found something when they do find something. It means that there, the the game benefits from community, where people share all the things that they found, and as sort of fallout from that second point, um, you you may hear about something, um, but not fully understand what it means or how to pin it to the world, and that is uh, hopefully how you get situations where people say. Um, uh, oh, you know, such and such secret is is here, or uh, apocryphal stories, I guess is the short way to say that, where, you know, maybe something is not true or not entirely true. Like someone might say, oh, did you did you check the ground for three flowers? You know, oh, wait, wait, what does that mean? Is that important? <laughs> which which three flowers are you talking about? Um, and, and you get this sort of like soup of rumors of things that are and aren't true. And um, that sort of thing is very exciting to me. Um, and uh, I guess also to, to mention the the number of secrets that you can or can't find is w when we were designing the game, we would talk about these sorts of things with percentages very roughly. Like this is this should be a 95% secret. It's not really a secret. We want people to be able to find it. And if they don't, someone's going to help you and it's easy to go back and find. Or we talk about 10% secrets. So here is a thing that is intentionally very uh, optional. But uh, if you 
if you talk to your friends, maybe you'll, you'll be able to share its location, um, or maybe uh, it's just a, a cool item that gives you a neat edge that is only very obliquely hinted at, or not at all, um, so that if you do bumble into it, um, you can have the, that thrill of real discovery. Oh, here's the secret right now. What a <laughs> timing. Yeah. You had me you had me going, you had me like wandering around every corner behind like <laughs> every tree. Like and there's more often than not, there would be some little hidden path just like that little clip we just saw. Yeah. Right there. I would call that like a like a, a thirty to fifty percent sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. like, oh my god. Okay. I'm see now I'm gonna be hitting every wall. I, I have such trust issues when it comes to games like this. So I'm gonna hit every tree, every wall. The ground, everything. I'm, I'm just hit them fifty <laughs> times, and <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually had a question, and it's something I, I've been really curious about. Are you able to talk at all about your deal with coming to Game Pass? It seems like it came together, uh, uh, like it wasn't announced until basically the day the game came out. But what does that look like? Do you end up recouping your development costs? Is it a good deal in the end? I imagine you're going to say yes, or you wouldn't do it. But just anything you could uh, tell me about it. Like, has it been a positive experience? Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. It, the Tunic is at its core a... Uh, I guess you call it a small game. You know, it's this, it's a very small team. It's about a small fox. Uh, it has this sort of, it, to me, it still feels quite small. You know, it's a very personal project. And so the idea that um, all, all of Xbox Game Pass can go out there and play this thing is phenomenal. Like it, it means a lot. It, it's not just, um, it's not just like oh look the big numbers big numbers it it is heartwarming that the number of people that have played it and the number of people that have managed to sort of pick up what we were putting down has been what it's been uh, like i mentioned at the start the the amount of fretting about whether or not it would land um is just is i i it makes this whole experience um sort of surreal that, that this many people are playing it and that it seems to be working for those people. You know, it seems a, a little bit, um, I don't know, self-indulgent to say, oh, people really get it, you know, like, <laughs> but it, that was a big worry, you know, that, that it wouldn't, uh, the, the, the illusions that the game is making just wouldn't resonate properly. And it seems like for a lot of people, it has the fact that it's able to reach that many people, um, is very, very cool. I don't know if Microsoft gives you any, you know, if they communicate with you, yeah, we, you know, we expect this many people might download and try the game in the first week, but, you know, what, I know you're not going to give me an exact number and that's fine. I'm not looking for that, but have, like, have you been surprised at the number of people that, that have played so far? Uh, Xbox uh, Game Pass specifically, I'm scared to look, uh, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but at some point, I'm going to um, open my eyes and, and maybe take a peek. I, th I think that number is made available somewhere. I'm not. I'm not 100 sure. Actually, that's a, maybe a question for Finji. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a, it's a little bit terrifying. But um, again, sort of, whew, it's a bit of a relief. Business. Uh, uh, Go ahead, Destin, please. Yeah, business-wise, Microsoft has said that every deal is unique. So how did you go about landing on something that worked for both you and Microsoft, if you're able to share any of those details? 
I, I think that sort of thing is, again, like I mentioned earlier, um, there are a lot of, I can, I can animate, I can do a 3D model, I can write <laughs> code, um, but negotiating business deals is not something that I am particularly good at. So I feel very fortunate that I was able to partner with Finji so they could, um, you know, navigate that sort of thing. But on the whole, it's been super good. Uh, I, I feel like there's maybe this thought that when a small developer partners with a, an organization as sort of um, as much of uh, an institution as Microsoft, that there's, I don't know, a pressure put on the developer to make things a certain way or to fit into a particular schedule or whatever. And that has not been the case. It's um, the, they, this is the game that it was meant to be, if that makes any sense. That also sounds very self-aggrandizing, but do you know what I mean? Like at, at no point did anybody come in and say, oh, you need to change this, that, and the other thing. No, that doesn't sound weird at all. There's actually a lot of, you know, concerns out there that developers would be, have like extra pressure put on them or something. And everything that I've, I've read for the most part has been positive about it. It's great to hear you reaffirm that your experience has been good. Yeah. And, you know, it seemed like, Microsoft got, they signed your game up pretty early on. I mean, we've been seeing it at Xbox showcases and events for a number of years. Did, did uh, Sony and or Nintendo also call and like, but the Microsoft got there first. I'm sort of curious, like how, uh, how you ended up, you know, joining the ID at Xbox program and, and, you know, putting this out as a Xbox console exclusive. Um, yeah, good, good question. Um, yeah, again, like, Deep, certain details are the sorts of things that we we can't talk about here sure. and now, um, but the I think one of the the fact that so Tunic was a part of the uh, Xbox um, uh, briefing in 2018, and that was the moment where we announced like, hey, we are we're partnering with with Xbox, and that was the point at which I think Tunic turned from like oh, maybe maybe you saw some gifs on twitter maybe you saw a vine back in the day uh that's when it was like no this is it's there there are some people out there that really believe in this thing um and that was i think sort of the thing that tipped it over into uh i guess it set it onto the, the road to where it is now and i'm really grateful for that So uh, um, if you could go back <laughs> and give yourself any advice, time travel back to the start of the project and talk to your seven years ago self, what would you tell, what would you tell uh, the younger <laughs> version of you? I think, okay, so I think this happened. I don't know when I'm going to You actually time, time traveled. Yeah, no, I <laughs> wow. So the, the way it works is you, you appear to yourself in the past as a voice <laughs> in your head. Um, and uh, you can't give too many details or else you create a time paradox. So it need to be somewhat vague and you're only allowed to sort of, yeah, appear as the sort of ethereal back of the head voice. Um, and, uh, uh, the, the voice is, um, make sure this doesn't take seven years, uh, is what I, I, I think I'm going to tell myself. Cause I knew that at, at the time, you know, make sure this, this doesn't take a super long time. And, I think even knowing that at the time, like the, people, 
I've often talked about this, like, you know, you, you, you take your estimate amount of time that something's going to take, and then you double it. And uh, maybe you apply that rule again because of things that you didn't foresee. And so I knew that I knew things took longer than expected. Um, but I, I guess I didn't, I didn't take the advice. I didn't, um, you know, no, no matter, no, even knowing that, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, I wasn't able to, you know, tighten things up as it were. And I, I don't think that I could have, you know, game development is an iterative process. And a lot of the things that you see in this finished product don't like didn't exist in, in any form, uh, from the very start. So it was a matter of building the thing and tearing it down and rebuilding parts of it and tearing those down and rebuilding it. Um, that probably is what, what it made it take as long as it did. Um, but I guess if I, okay, if I actually could go back in time and tell myself, um, something, it would be, uh, take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. It's good advice. Destin or Stella, you guess either you want to jump in? Uh, not a question, but I, I just want to point out that something you said, uh, really resonated with me. You said that you were speaking about like, uh, I, I think you, I, I don't know if this is how you meant it, but you said, oh, imagine like if you were new to video games, I feel like this is very accessible in terms of that because it's very cute. It's very welcoming. Um, so I'm just really glad that you thought of things like that, which also increases your audience, which is why I feel like it has such a good um, positive reaction. So I just want to say like you, you did what you wanted to do. And I, I hope you feel that you deserve all this credit. Um, I, I feel like, you know, you, you want to go back in time and tell yourself it's okay. Like, yeah, it's more than okay. So I, I really hope you do <laughs> lean into that. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. I think it was definitely a, a, a team effort for sure. And uh, on the, on the point of um, accessibility for, for folks, I think that uh, there's a lot in this game that um, leans on, the understanding of video game vocabulary. Um, but the hope is also that with the sort of options that we have available for turning off player damage and that sort of thing, that it can be enjoyed by uh, you know, a broad audience. So I'm, I'm yeah. hoping the answer is Tunic 2, but <laughs> what's the next game you're going to make all by yourself? Uh, <laughs> good question. Maybe. Uh, if I was going to, it would actually probably either be entirely by myself and more like a recreational programming project, um, or I would be making something that is not a personal project from the start and do something mm -hmm. where um, some of the design weight is um, sort of distributed a little bit uh, from the very start. I think that's, uh, but I mean, to Nick, it's right there in the name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too Nick, too furious. Yeah, yeah. Come on, stop. <laughs> <laughs> we did it, you guys. You heard it here first. Oh god. Um, I mean, this might sound like kind of a goofy question, Andrew, but I'm actually genuinely curious. You know, I know that the game development community is tight knit. You, you know, you do talk to other developers. Did you ever, at some, at any point, like speak with, say, Stardew Valley's Eric Baroni or any of the other kind of mm -hmm. people that have? largely taken on an entire game project by themselves for any advice or just camaraderie, anything like that? Or, or you just, you kind of just get lost in your own world. And, and then here you are seven years later at the, at the finish line. Um, yeah, for sure. It's uh, I, I have over the years asked for, especially early on asked for uh, just like general advice. It's sort of tricky. Cause you, it was, um, 
Thomas Hap comes to mind as someone, the Axiom Verge developer, uh, reaching out and saying, how do you design a video game? Like, how do you, how do you take all these blanks and turn it into a real thing? How do you know when you're on the right track? And um, in retrospect, I think his advice was very good. You know, it's just like, leave, leave them blank if they need to be blank. Um, and come back to them later and, you know, trust yourself. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I would have to look up the email exactly, but, um, I remember early on being, uh, anxious about, you know, the, 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 the mountain that sort of disappeared up through the clouds. Like I wasn't even sure when the, the end of the journey was because I didn't know how big the mountain was. Um, and yeah, so if, uh, if I could offer advice to others, it would be um, in in many spheres, whether it's asking advice about design or working on long-term projects, or whether it's how do I you know market or publish a video game, talk, talk to people who know more than you do, because um, people know more than you do, and uh, they're more than often willing to help, or more, more, more often than not willing to help. I guess the last question uh, that I've got for you is you mentioned, you know, that you, you push the button to publish the game, officially release it last Wednesday. How was that day for you? And what did you do at the rest of the day? Like, how did you like that must have felt really good, number one. But like, do you just do you start reading reviews? Do you walk away from the computer and go outside? Like, I'm just kind of curious how your day was last week when, when you finally released it. Uh, yeah, it was, there was definitely a, an anxiety turning point, like a, a moment of relief. I was sitting here on a call with the, the team to make sure that all, everything was as it should be. And we were going to press the buttons at the right time. And that was the moment that the review embargo was up as well. And, uh, my, my partner was with me and she was there to act as sort of a, a buffer, you know, like, you know, read the reviews and if they're good, tell me like, oh, they, they like the puzzles, um, and maybe downplay, um, some of the negative stuff. And she told me some other reviews and, um, yeah, the, the call sort of just went quiet for a little bit. Uh, and, uh, it was, um, a, a, the, the, the weight of seven years concentrated into a single emotional moment was just overwhelming for a moment. And then it turned into a day of fixing bugs, coordinating patches, um, talking to people who were enjoying the game, interacting with the community on our Discord. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, so it was a wild ride. It's still continuing now. I've got to make a save game backup system this afternoon. Um, but uh, yeah, it was... It was a, a very weird day that I won't forget anytime soon. On the bug note, actually, you bring up something that I, I'm interested in knowing more about. But during development, what was the the one thing that you just you focused a lot on? You just wanted to get just right that that was like sort of tricky, but you ended up nailing it in the end. Uh, uh, good question. I mean, uh, nailing it in the end. I, I think. Well, again, reviewed. What, we gave it a nine, so <laughs> I'd say that's nailing it. <laughs> okay, good, good. But what yeah. what thing in particular? I think um, the 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 manual is a really important part of the game, and early on, it was known about by people like oh, and the game, we talked about it openly. The game has a manual. There are secrets in it. Um, you collect the pages, and it's more than just a collectible. Maybe you should read them. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's useful stuff in there. And uh, 
I think it's now it's sort of like we can talk a little bit more openly or, or people maybe uh, uh, have a sense if they've played the game, they have a sense of what we were talking about when we mentioned those things. And that was something that took um, a, a lot of work. Um, uh, Adam from Finji after launch uh, was like looking at it with sort of fresh eyes sort of thing, like, ah, oh, it's done. We could sit down, you know, play it on a big screen. And um, he was looking at it and said like, yeah, we, did a good job with this. It's a it's an internally coherent instruction manual. Um, it, it it but it's you know meant to reveal things at a certain time. Um, and it because it was sort of siloed off as this separate thing that existed mostly as essentially post-it notes. You know, here's the page where it tells you this. Uh, and it it the the final draft of it came together in you know the final months before release it it's very gratifying to know like hey it's it worked this plan that had been at the back of my head this whole time that existed as a bunch of white pages with text that says you know boss or dodge roll um actually turned into a real thing that people seem to be enjoying um was there was there any aspect that you enjoyed working on the most like the animations the modeling of like the little treasure boxes the the <laughs> pixels that come out and act as currency like was there one thing that you really found yourself like i really enjoy this aspect of creating this this game yeah uh the visual effects are sort of my favorite thing like i could get sucked into um composing a shader for literally hours <laughs> or days and so uh, visual effects like um a sort of ethereal smoke or you know motes of light spiraling towards a point and exploding all that sort of thing or, or a little candle flame uh, flickering in, in the wind all those sorts of things are just um, an absolute delight for me and I I could uh, those are the sorts of things where I need to set a time limit you know like you're gonna work on this for this long and then it's done <laughs> you're not gonna look at it ever again um, until you know two months later when you are dissatisfied with it. I mean, it's absolute garbage and you need to redo it from the start. <laughs> well, inversely, I have to ask, what was the one that you would procrastinate on? Because you were <laughs> just like, oh, I don't want to work on that today. Yeah, I, I should do an, uh, an analysis. of. So I keep a spreadsheet of like all the, the every, every basically every minute that I'd worked on the game since I think I started in 2017, really wow. something like that when I realized uh, I wanted to keep track of where effort was going. So I should, I should digest that some, but I, I feel like the the most sort of mentally taxing stuff um, is uh, like moving large pieces of design around, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Thinking like, well, if we, we really need to revamp this system and how many other things does that touch? Or this area needs to be moved all the way over here. And it's whatever, it's computer. It's like takes no actual effort, but the, the mental energy of seeing how that will influence everything and thinking about how the, the, the repercussions of putting an item early, that sort of thing is, it's very satisfying, but it is definitely the sort of thing that I, uh, let's say, allow myself the most time to just you know, ruminate on for long periods. Well, I have to imagine if you make a mistake moving something that large, it could break the game, right? Yeah. And, you know, we, we'd be able to see if it broke it in a, uh, a sort of technical way pretty early on, but finding out whether or not the, you know, intended design has been corrupted in some fundamental ways is, yeah, it's a, it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of juice. <laughs> so Andrew, before we let you go here now, if, if somebody hasn't 
read or seen IGN's review. Maybe they've just heard that this game's pretty good. Maybe they didn't play one of the demos that you'd put out ahead of time. What is the elevator pitch version of the game? Because it's on Game Pass. It's right there for people. But I, I, I leave it to you to sell it to them right now. Sure. Okay. Um, first of all, if you th- good job making it through this uh, interview. If you are not familiar with the game, I appreciate it. Tunic is an isometric action adventure about a tiny fox in a big world where you explore the wilderness, fight monsters, and find secrets. Um, it is. Uh, oh yeah, there's an instruction manual that's full of all kinds of neat stuff as well. Sort of a, a classic retro sort of thing. Um, which floor are we on in this elevator? Uh, oh, it's got technical combat. It's got um, you know things like uh, parries and dodge rolls and uh, hidden poise meters and that sort of thing. So if that's your jam, um, then maybe give it a shot. It's available on Xbox Game Pass right now. So oh, you, you've left the elevator and are walking down. You're off to go download it on your Xbox. Good. Thank you. Well, Andrew, thank you. And hopefully someday you're going to look at those Game Pass numbers because I'm I'm sure you're <laughs> going to end up being very happy at the result. I was very happy playing the game. Again, I gave it a 9 out of 10 for IGN. Uh, I was far from the only critic to, to uh, give it a lot of praise. Congratulations, seriously, on finishing this game. And thank you for it. I mean, it's just uh, you've dedicated, as Destin and Stella were saying at the top, a long chunk of your life to this. And uh, and I had a ball playing it. And I'm really grateful to you for making it. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Andrew Scholdice, principal developer on Tunic. Buy it now on Steam or just download it on Game Pass. That's the thing to do. So, Andrew, thank you so much. Thank you. This week's Podcast Unlocked is brought to you by NordVPN. Hey, if you're watching a lot of sports like me and you hate blackouts, NordVPN is a great way to go. You can use NordVPN, a virtual private network, to watch live sporting events, TV shows, films that aren't available in your region by switching your virtual location to a country that is showing that event. No more blackouts. It's also good for plenty of other stuff like protecting your private data, your bank details, your passwords, your online identity. You can protect your data while you're traveling and using public Wi-Fi. NordVPN protects you wherever you are in the world. NordVPN threat protection also protects you from viruses, malware, and phishing sites. NordVPN is also the fastest VPN in the world. No buffering or lagging while you're streaming, and it will stop your ISP bandwidth throttling. NordVPN is the price of a cup of coffee a month, so that is a super affordable, great way to go. To get the best discount off of your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash Unlocked without the E. That's N O R D V P N dot com slash U N L O C K D. And that'll give you four extra months on the two year plan. And best of all, there's no risk with Nord's 30 day money back guarantee. NordVPN.com slash unlocked without the E. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. 
That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. All right. I want to thank Andrew Schuldice one more time. That was an excellent conversation. I always love chatting with uh, with developers, period, but especially ones that have, have done so much of a game by themselves and the the mental discipline that that takes, not to mention the, you know, prowess in so many different skills and, and areas from, you know, like Andrew was talking about with art and programming and design, all this stuff, just unbelievable. It's always humbling to me as a, as somebody who works at IGN to, to talk to somebody who does this stuff uh, day in and day out. Miranda, welcome. You, we have, we have, we're rejoined by Miranda Sanchez. Good to see you. Yeah, good to be back. Uh, apologies for being out last week. Sinus infections are no fun, but been there. Yeah, they're no fun. So you're sounding good. So that's yes. glad to hear that. Yeah. Yay, medicine and uh, <laughs> and sleep. <laughs> sleep. Good. Well said. Uh, we've still got plenty more to talk about, so the show is not yet over. I want to start with arguably the well. We've got kind of two major stories: one good and one bad. Um, Let's start with the good, because I don't want to go right from a fun developer interview into into something horrifically depressing about another game developer. So let's talk about the new Witcher game that got not officially announced, but confirmed by CD Projekt Red this week. They said, well, you know, so not much has been revealed just yet, but their announcement, their confirmation says this will be, quote, kicking off a new saga for the franchise and a new technology partnership with Epic Games. So it's going to use Unreal Engine 5. We've got no timeline, no release date. We don't even know if it's going to be Geralt or if it's going to be Siri, who's going to be the, the star of this show as far as the playable character. But they just shared a little teaser image, which is, you know, very witchery, that features a medallion and the phrase, a new saga begins. Uh, Miranda, I'll start with you since you've just freshly joined the podcast. Uh, I, I assume you're not surprised by a new Witcher game, but maybe by the Unreal Engine factor. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, like, it's just, it's one of those things where when an announcement comes around, it's like, hey, guys, we're developing GTA 6. Hey, we're doing the next Witcher. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I think, of course, as you said, though, that the most exciting thing to hear is the Unreal Engine 5. Um, as you have also noted, that it seems to be very popular. So I'm glad to see that it seems to be something that folks are enjoying working with. Um, and I think just because we have had some very specific demos for that to show off like what it can do, it does uh, have that kind of like next gen ring to it still, I would say. Like even though obviously like next gen is current gen, but still feels like next gen because not everyone has next gen because they're hard to get still. Um, just having that sort of refresher of like, oh yes, this is the new toy and people are using it and it will be new for us when we get it. So exciting. Destin, uh, you are heavy into technical analysis. You enjoy that part of gaming and, and that part of your job at IGN. Are you surprised that that uh, CD Projekt is is uh, foregoing their own internal tech that they've spent a lot of years and no doubt bandwidth building in favor of Unreal here. I wouldn't say I'm surprised. Um, the Unreal Engine 5 is sporting some really, really interesting tech with how it handles 
like i don't know you played the matrix demo right like yeah. that was just a, a look at what they were able to prototype in just a few months so imagine what a, a developer like the team at cd project red is going to be able to do with unreal engine 5. I do think that the cyberpunk fiasco probably nudged them toward Unreal for stability reasons, potentially, or maybe they found internally that it was a lot harder to work with. Or actually, I'm not sure what engine they use for cyberpunk. I'm imagining it's the red oh, it's engine. That's their own in house. Yeah. So yeah, I, ha- I have to wonder if that sort of like pushed them towards using something a little bit more stable, for lack of a better term like Unreal Engine 5. Unreal Engine 5 does have its own issues, of course, but that, that's just my thoughts on it. But I, I'm sort of like with Miranda. Oh, you're making a new Witcher. I'm shocked and amazed. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, I guess I was surprised just because I mean, uh, Cyberpunk's a very good-looking game. It's not like, oh, they had some old, you know, creaky thing that needed to be replaced and then, so mm-hmm. they you know, just went with Unreal. Like, their tech looks pretty good. Stella, your thoughts on this, both the, the game and the uh, engine switch. Um, I mean, yeah, like, I, again, not super surprised. Witcher is a great game series. Um, I, I Them saying this, though, like, I'm not counting on seeing anything anytime soon. Because remember, Cyberpunk was announced years and years ago. We didn't get any news on it for a really long time. Um, so, of course, like, hearing that a Witcher game is in development, I'm like, yeah, that's great. But I wish I could have heard it when you were ready to show me stuff because i'm i'm very much about like uh at least with uh, cd project red especially since they've had issues with cyberpunk um i think a lot of people want to see solid evidence that hey maybe we can rely on you again to give us a product that you are actually showing uh but for unreal engine 5 i think it makes sense a lot of developers are using it i feel like it is easily uh it's going to have more support if they have run into issues. So I feel like it makes a lot more sense for them to switch over um, because if they continue to use their in-house engine, it's, you know, they they have to problem solve for everything. But at least with Unreal Engine 5, they're going to have more support. So um, I feel like it's a, a pretty interesting turn. Yeah, I think you just hit on a huge point with the support of that because that's, you know, I'm not a game developer. I don't pretend to be. But one thing I've heard about the Unreal Engine in speaking with a million developers over the years, the the most common thing I hear is that the tools and the support, exactly as as you said, Stella, are are just awesome. Like so that the the development tools are really like user friendly and they're just really mature tools. And then you get that entire Unreal Engine support team. Like Epic has, you know, there's the Fortnite team and there are game development teams. There is an Unreal Engine team and whose whole job is to support all the developers. You know, they work on the engine, but then they also give uh, any support to developers who are, you know, doing using it for whatever their project is to try and help them out. So um, the other thing I saw, I think it's with Jason Schreier, I pointed this out on Twitter and it's a, it's a great point as well, that, uh, Switching to Unreal could help them recruit game, more talented game developers too. Not that they don't already have talent there, but Unreal, as you said, Stella, is so widely used that suddenly if you say, hey, we're hiring for The Witcher 3 and we're using, or The Witcher 4 or whatever they actually call it, uh, and we're using Unreal 5, that's gonna that sort of enlarges the talent pool rather than, or at least... Mm-hmm. If not enlarges it, it enables you to onboard people more quickly because you don't have to train them on the in-house CD Project Red tools. They'll already have the knowledge of 
of building on Unreal coming right into the studio. So I wonder, I mean, you're so right, Stella, that it's it's still going to be like my first thought when I saw this was like, cool. All right. We'll see you in 2027, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. But but at the same point, uh, using Unreal 5 might get this game out. I mean, I don't want to put a number on it because I'd be wrong, but like maybe it's a year sooner. Right. You know, we don't know how it will affect the development process, but it will probably speed it up rather than slow it down. So I think that's a a big part too. Now, um, Miranda, do you think that they will stick with Geralt here or or go to Siri? Do you, what? Uh, I mean, because they are calling this a new saga, which would seem to indicate multiple games, right? This almost like the you know with Halo four, five, and six were meant to be like a new Halo saga separate from from one, two, and three. You think they'll they'll uh, stick with our our gravelly voiced friend Geralt? <laughs> All right, y'all. I want to be very forward about this when it comes to The Witcher. I looked at it and I said, nah. <laughs> but I never played it. So I, I've actually played a demo of it. Um, Geralt was just, I don't, I was like, I don't really want to spend a hundred hours with you. That was it. That was like the end of the discussion. Um, so if they do do Siri, that would actually be really enticing to me. And I know people are like, Rena, why would you stop? I'm like, listen, I know the adventure is good and I'm very tempted after playing Cyberpunk. And maybe I will, but it's just, it's a complicated relationship with me and The Witcher, okay? So that's all I got to say. But if they do do Siri, that would make a lot of sense that they want to shake things up. And as you said, a new saga, that means that they want some ongoing story stuff. Um, I know there's a lot going on in the books as well. And of course, we have the Netflix show. So this could be something sort of to entice them in a new way of being like, hey, like let's move on to a different sort of storytelling point that we can kind of craft in a different way. And maybe even, um, I don't know, like, the show's still, I haven't seen the second season yet. Confusing. So I don't think that really matters since it is sort of retreading things with the books and early on with the, the games as well, too. So I think they just have a lot of potential with a new saga with a new character. That just makes most sense. Destin, are you uh, in agreement? You think you think new character? You think not Geralt? Or you think they'll uh, stick with our boy? Uh, maybe they let you pick. You know? Uh, I don't think that would be too crazy maybe they they could have unique campaigns for each of those characters also but, i would not put i mean that past cd project for sure yeah look That's look what they huge look <laughs> look what they look what they did for cyberpunk they allowed you to have like one of three different intros so maybe they can use some of the things that they learned from that property and bring it over to the witcher property and allow people to have a different adventure based on which character they choose i think that would be great personally stella your thoughts on uh, this next step for The Witcher? Uh, I didn't finish The Witcher 3, so I can't really speak on like what the story points are and how it would make sense for the next uh, story to be. But I would love to see something more with Siri. Um, I think I got like 20, 30 hours in and I, it was just such a big game. I was just like, I, there's no way I'm finishing this. <laughs> so yeah, I kind of shied the away from it. Same <laughs> experience. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I don't know. Um, I wouldn't mind if it was... Uh, maybe starting out with Geralt and then leaning more towards Siri because we did get a little bit of gameplay with Siri, which was really cool. Um, so something like that would be really nice to me, like switching off something like that. But um, yeah, I don't know. I I just want to see a really solid game in the Witcher universe again because I, I loved exploring. That was like my favorite part of this game. Maybe a little, you're, yeah, I like uh, you're thinking a little like Halo 2 chief and arbiter situation. <laughs> you kind of bounce oh back and forth. That was so 
cool. Okay, sorry. Okay. Yeah, we could talk about that. That was so cool. I was not expecting that. Oh my God. That was so cool. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> it was. Yeah. No, that was, it was, uh, oh. especially like back at the time too, when, when the game first came out, that was, yeah. uh, that was, everybody was like, what? Yeah. Like and, my friend was like, oh, hey, pay attention. I was like, what, what? And I was like, no way. I'm, <laughs> I'm this guy. This is so cool. <laughs> Although um, I think Miranda too, you make a good point about the show. Like, you know they're 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 fleshing out Siri in the show, of course, Geralt. You know they're they're building this universe, uh, or you know at least amplifying it via the Netflix show. And the oh, Netflix yeah. show is probably I, don't please nobody quote me on this, but I feel like I read where I think the plan for that show is seven seasons. If, Whoa. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Nobody's nobody's nodding their head in agreement. Maybe I didn't read this, or maybe I'm inventing yeah. this out of thin air. But I guess my point is. I mean, we definitely know that after the first two seasons, it's one of the biggest shows on Netflix. It's probably going to keep going for at least a while. Will it go long enough to mat to 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 the point where this new fourth Witcher game comes out? I don't know because, like I said, we we're you know we think this Witcher game is probably five years away. Yeah. So I don't know if the show will still quite be going then. But even if it's there's not a direct overlap between the show and this next game the show is doing uh yeoman's work in just keeping the the uh strength of the witcher name you know alive and and going so when this game does come out not that the witcher as a game has any problem getting attention but theoretically the audience is probably going to be bigger than ever for a new witcher game when this does come out because of the netflix show so um, the yes. CD project has, yeah, they have their, they can thank the Netflix people for helping, you know, helping amplify this thing. Cause remember, you know, they don't own the Witcher, the author does. So it's, you know, they're, they're along for the ride. So it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see how long the show goes and, and how long this game takes and whether or not they're going to intersect at some point in the next several years. So Ryan, oh, sorry. oh, go ahead. Oh, I, I was just to say, I, I was, I'm actually watching through The Witcher season two right now. It's only eight episodes. Um, and I'm not going to lie. First season was definitely better. Second season, I feel like it took a really long time to get to the point. And when I realized that there were only eight episodes, I was like, wait, it's episode seven. Things are just starting to get to, what do you mean? What is this? So uh, <clears throat> a little disappointed, but um, still a good show. So um, yeah. just a little side note on the, st on the show story. <laughs> Yeah, and then Ryan, you're absolutely correct. It is a seven season plan, so okay. maybe it's really. Oh my god! Yeah, it's going to be a long one. Um, also, just kind of a quick side note on CD Projekt Red and I guess uh, other media for their stories. Uh, don't forget that we're supposed to get a cyberpunk anime from uh, Studio Trigger, who did Kill a Kill, like a lot of other very exciting shows. Really? So I'm just kind of oh like, wow. Yeah, I'm, where, is there a forget. release date for that, Miranda? I missed you... that. <laughs> I think that was supposed to be, it's supposed to be soon. Uh, I'll look it up. Yeah, I remember that was on one of the um, the Cyberpunk Directs, whatever the heck, I forget the name. <laughs> you know, those little like 20 minute Nintendo Direct type things that they were doing in the run up to release. They That was one of the segments on there. It was talking about the anime, so. Yeah, it's going to be on Netflix. Yeah, it is supposed to be this year. That's what I thought, but I wasn't sure when. Sometime this year. Excellent. So, That'll yeah. be fun. It'll be good to look forward to. So, yeah, good stuff happening in the world of The Witcher. Uh, but you, you're all right that CD Projekt Red has 
a little bit of an uphill battle in terms of winning some trust back from from gamers, which you know that was not a problem from Witcher One to Witcher Two to Witcher Three. That is a that is a recent problem. So we'll see how uh, if you know time heals all wounds plus cyberpunk <laughs> patches help heal those wounds too. Um, but yeah, we'll look forward to hearing more about this new Witcher game, but probably not for a while. I would not expect any news on this for at least a year or two, I'm sure. If it comes out at the, at the time, at the year that Cyberpunk is set in 2077, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> <laughs> you know, although on that note, Stella, in all seriousness, it might not come out on the Series X. I mean, if it's Don't not say that it no. might be this, it might be the series Y. It Don't might be the next Xbox. That. Okay, no. <laughs> like you know, the the console generation is. It might you know just saying that this thing is a ways out, and it might not even see the. I mean, there might be a Series X version, but you might be wanting to play it on the next Xbox. Is all see, I'm trying to I say. Just, I refuse X to plus. Yeah I, yeah, I just refuse to think that far ahead because I'm like, we just got these. Like, we're working through games right now. I, I refuse. I refuse. <laughs> a meteor <laughs> might hit the Earth by then for oh, all God, we know. Please. Hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. So stay, t- stay tuned for The Witcher 4 on, on Series Z. Xbox Series. Stop. Series with a Z. We did it, you guys. Uh, all right. Turning series here. <laughs> Uh, we went from a wonderful game developer story and talking to Andrew Shuldice at the top of the show to one that I think we've got to talk about here that is uh, the, the unfortunate complete opposite of this. This is a story about Moon Studios, the developers of Ori and the Blind Forest and Ori and the Will of the Wisps. So that Moon is uh, apparently, reportedly, via a extraordinarily thorough report that I have every confidence in, and you, I think you will too if you read it. Uh, it is an oppressive place to work featuring a gamut of issues that uh, crunch, poor organization, verbal abuse, and it really all stems from the two uh, creators, Thomas Mailer and uh, Jenity Carroll. I don't know if I'm quite pronouncing that second one I'm, uh, incorrectly. I apologize if so. But this report comes from GamesBeat, from VentureBeat, who is, uh, they do reputable work in the games media space. They report that Xbox is no longer working with the studio following what was said to be a difficult relationship. Now, that's sort of kind of already known in the sense that their next game, which is not an Ori game, is uh, they've signed up with with uh, Take-Two's independent arm, Private Division, to uh, handle publishing duties on that game. And and GamesBeat says that this lengthy report details a range of allegations, most of which, again, center on the studio's founders, Thomas Mailer and Jenity Carroll. They include reports of constant arguments, a crunch culture in which developers were expected to be available at all hours and on the weekends. And the reason for that is... uh, they are a distributed studio since before the pandemic. They've always worked all remotely. So they have team members around the world. Uh, a steady stream of racist, sexist, and anti-Semitic banter. Uh, this, I read the whole thing. So we have a, you know, we have our sort of story on IGN, the sourcing venture beat. I went back and read the entire thing. I don't know if any of you did. It is a very long, very in-depth piece. And it's, uh, it's 
horrific to read. Destin, I, I don't know if you've had a chance to, to really dig into this story yet, but I wanted to get your thoughts. Yeah. Um, one of the people who actually worked at Moon Studio did come out publicly and say that they can corroborate the experiences that were laid out in the story. And basically, uh, the Game Suite story opens up talking about how for their next game, they were fighting really hard to have um, apologies for the graphic well, description. Thomas, Thomas Mailer was fighting hard. So let's, he, he was he was fighting he, hard. He's to make pushing sure hard. That, Go ahead. Yeah. To make sure that the main character was motivated by being raped to perpetuate whatever happens. A revenge thing, story. A yeah. revenge story. And it's just like one of the most disappointing writing crutches that has been highlighted multiple times just from fellow writers and movies and television is just like it's a really weak thing so it took a lot of convincing to get that for him to realize that that's not a thing there's also some language that they use in public conversations on their i assume slack or whatever program where yeah their internal chat their internal where they're like bickering with each other but it's it's just like not appropriate for the workplace and just some things that are just just reading it and hearing about how it made people feel. You, you see developers talking about how um, it was soul crushing, you know, to work at this development studio and that it extinguished their spark for making games. And their response to it wasn't any better. So they respond to it and it feels like they just make a bunch of excuses for their behavior. They don't even say sorry by the no. end of it. They say we regret making anybody feel bad basically, but it's just like, Ugh. look, there's a way to respond to this and work towards becoming a better studio. And I don't feel like I heard any remorse in the, in the response letter. And it was, it's really unfortunate because what this does in the longer term is it sullies the memory of the Ori games, which are beautiful, wonderful projects, because now we know that those developers basically had to go through hell or at least what they describe as an incredibly negative, mentally taxing experience because of the working conditions that they were put through. So to have such a nonchalant response about the situation, it's just not, I just, I don't even want to support the studio anymore. You know, if, if that's the type of care that they, they have for their employees, it's, it's truly unfortunate because it's sullies a beautiful product, the game. Uh, I want to go to Miranda next, but just to, to, to note for any before anybody for anybody listening, like this was not a one unnamed source kind of story. This they talked to dozens. VentureBeat talked to dozens of current and former employees. There, this is an extraordinarily good piece of journalism that is really uh, you know really casts an, a light on this unfortunate situation. And I think later they talked to the Microsoft side too, and Microsoft was like, "Yeah, it was not great." So, well, yeah, they were saying that only the two co-founders, Mailer and uh, and Carole, would would talk to Microsoft. Everyone else was was basically like not allowed to do that. So the we for for all we know, we don't really know if Microsoft was aware of the situation because they were the only people that were allowed to talk to Microsoft were the two toxic leaders. So. You know, for all we know, Microsoft never really was uh, fully aware of of how of the circumstances under which these Ori games were being made. Miranda, uh, yeah, it's always really difficult to talk about this. And of course, Ryan, to your point, like uh, 
folks that publish these sorts of stories usually do like a lot of very thorough research to make sure that they can just corroborate stories and of course um, do their due diligence and making sure that it's a good and healthy report and ultimately hopefully helpful for the folks who are involved um, and let them have a place to share what happened to them. Um, so I actually haven't had a chance to read this in, in like full yet, but I will say too, like just on your point of like stories being centered around rape, like I think those are important stories to tell, but it's important to do it right. And it's very, very hard. And like, of course, the the big kudos to the staff who are just like, not like this, like just that's, that's really hard. And I think also hearing just sort of the way that they sort of control their studio seems very uh, <laughs> real bad, obviously. So it's, it's so disheartening to see that. And exactly as Dustin said, that it's just kind of taints uh, what Ori is and just like the kindness that's around that game. And then it's just like, Oh, that's a big bummer. especially when people worked so hard to put, get this together and had to like trudge through so much to make that happen. Um, you hate to see this kind of thing come out and, and happen, especially just sounds like such a terrible workplace. So I hope uh, the folks who came out of this and get um, whatever help they need to just kind of recover from that and feel more comfortable going back into game dev, if that's what they want to do, because I know that can be really hard to go from one place and feel comfortable going to another. So, Stella, your thoughts here? Uh, I mean, this isn't even like... <laughs> It's not even a poor workplace. It's just a poor it, workplace behavior. It's, it's poor human to human behavior. Um, and I, I need to read up more about this, but it's really disappointing because the Ori games were, you know, showcased by wholesome games and like stuff like that. That's supposed to be um, uplifting uh, the, the community. And it's really, this is just really disheartening to hear because I loved those games and, um, you know, it, I thought there was so much love that went into it, but hearing about this, you're just like, oh my God. Like well, there, there was. The, well, I mean, so the people that worked yeah, on it did. Right. Yes. And that's, but, that's the sort of tragic part is they, they did that under the thumb of these two guys. Yeah. This is, uh, <laughs> oh my God. Just, I, I hate people. <laughs> is, is kind of like a repeating thing that I, I keep feeling. Like last week we were talking about, um, oh my God, what was it? Uh, Perfect Dark, their 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 studio also not feeling great about not being heard, and this goes beyond that. Yeah. Um, and and soul crushing, I can totally see that because, I mean, if if you don't feel welcome, if you feel like it's a hostile place to work or even just exist in, how you're not going to feel good every day, just like even outside of the workplace. Um, so I I I really hope there is some sort of reckoning for these two founders because that that is not okay. Yeah, and even having this report, I mean, that's that's one thing. Of course, it's been a deluge of reports like this that come out, but they're happening because people are finding, like, I think the courage to speak up, and it is really hard to, to speak about things like that. Like, it's immensely difficult. It's even immensely difficult to share things with, like, your coworkers, um, I think, about, you know, issues. Like, even if you see it, it can be still hard to talk about. So, I mean, that's, like, a lot of strength for them to reach out and say, hey, like, let's, let's talk about this because it is important. So, hopefully... That, that helps change things as well. And to both of your points, uh, early as throughout the story, there's there are uh, quotes from some of the current and former developers who say like their reason for speaking up wasn't necessarily to you know try and cancel these two guys, but th they specifically say that it was that they're they're speaking up in the hopes of 
warning other game developers who are considering joining Moon, hey, you know, here's what you'd be going into, just so you know. Now, uh, to also to both of your points, I mean, I think that's that's where the power of good reporting can make a difference because, again, it's, you know, we're not looking for, uh, well, I don't necessarily think it's that these two guys need to be canceled. It's, but, but it's hopefully they will take a look in the mirror and try and make tangible, meaningful, uh, real world efforts to making moon a, a better, uh, healthier place to work for people because we've seen, they clearly have the talent, not just the team, but these two guys as well. They, they are talented people, but you can make a great game without subjecting your team to to this kind of uh, behavior and these kind of uh, workplace conditions. So uh, that's why that's why that response was so disheartening to hear, yeah, Ryan, because it I just agree. came up like they weren't getting the message right. And it's like you have you have an opportunity to change and and make actionable changes within your company to better the lives of your employees. And they were just like, we're not going to do that. that yeah, that's and it kind that's of how the whole response letter comes off. Yeah. Well, I would say opt- number one, uh, yeah, part of that too was they were like, well, because of the pandemic, we haven't been able to have our like company retreats where we get together and see each other in real life and things are great. And uh, we'll get back to that. And as if like that's going to fix everything, which, you know, a lot of the developers quoted said they were they were saying, yeah, they, those retreats are nice and it is good to, you know, it's it's not the same in person as it is. You know, these guys were referred to as like keyboard warriors that basically like it sounds like from the picture painted by a lot of these developers that that uh, that VentureBeat spoke to. It's it's as if your game development studio was being managed by two Twitter trolls. <laughs> like that's and I I know that sounds like a flippant, you know, jokey thing to say, but no, it's like really like the worst. That's that's the behavior of these guys, because apparently in the in the report, the experiences of these developers when they would have in-person interactions at these company retreats, it wasn't like this. So it's just an odd and I'm not saying that in, you know, having a an office, you know, is is going to fix everything that. You know, that's not necessarily the case at all. But uh, yeah, I would say, Destin, optimistically, I, well, hey, I'm with you completely on the response being completely uninspiring to, to read. But what I guess the optimistic thing I would I would put out there is they issued that response. So what? how this works with reporting, and you can you can kind of see it if you read through the whole Venture Beat thing is... Uh, VentureBeat didn't do all this reporting with with all these uh, current and former developers and then just spring this on the world. They gave, like, they knew this was coming. Uh, Mailer and and Carol knew this was coming. They were given the opportunity to respond. In fact, the story also talks about uh, they had an internal meeting after they were given this heads up about how they're going to respond, how, you know, the state of things. And, uh, and VentureBeat then learned the details about that, and that's worked in. But the hope I would have, Destin, is that, yes, they gave a crappy response before the story came out, which is what you know you read in there. But hopefully now that the public has seen it and there is a public reaction, 
hopefully that will lead to more substantive change, substantial change here. I agree. And I think the way that humans are built, often it takes a lot to take a look at your personal actions and how you can affect positive changes for like something like your employees. So maybe their initial response was one of defensiveness. And hopefully they can look and see that this is some a behavior that they need to look at as leaders in their workplace. Because maybe nobody has challenged them on it publicly before. So this is their first like big clear message that how you're acting isn't okay. And yeah. the ho- I, I would hope that they can have some self-reflection and, and make a change. It just sucks it had to come to that, that they couldn't listen to the internal dialogue that was happening. Um, I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I just hope that they are capable of change. Um, I don't really believe that they are, judging from how uh, this seems to have gone on for so long. But I mean, who knows, maybe maybe holding them publicly accountable is, is what they needed, but yeah. Yeah, and biggest red flags with like steady streams of racist and sexist banter mm-hmm. i'm just like Ugh. that doesn't yeah you don't Ye- you don't change that overnight like that yeah, is yeah there's a lot there where it's like you, you put a out a warning about. flag to say that this is not a healthy place for basically anyone who's not looks like them to go work at and it's just not of course in addition to that having the crunch culture and availability part like that part i think you can work on but like once you get to racist and sexist like excuse me i'm sorry i cursed um (laughs) once you start getting into that and if that's your founders that is like the like the the top of your organization is working from that undoing that is not just something that happens so i'm not confident in easy or good change like yes you can be nice in person but if your whole like communication system is being a gross human then that's you know, kind of a problem. (laughs) So. And I guess the last thing I would say now, what I'm about to say is pure speculation. However, I think it is fair to wonder if perhaps, you know, because Microsoft went on a studio shopping spree over the last few years. And some of those studios that they bought included studios that they'd been partnering with before. Playground, uh, Obsidian, et cetera. Uh, I guess was well play playground and oh um, I'm blanking I'm blanking I don't have the list in front of me but you guys know what I'm saying uh, and it is possible that Microsoft did get wind of some of this and you know scared them off of potentially looking to acquire uh, Moon to develop whether it's future Ori games or just games in general I mean you know that that's pure speculation on my part but well um, they did got get activision blizzard so yeah well that's it yeah that's uh but they knew they they knew yeah that's i don't know that yeah that i guess we've already had those conversations and that'll be that's a different ball of yarn to unravel but in any case um yeah we wish the best for all the uh employees that that are uh still the current and former employees of moon and and hopefully these two studio heads and founders are capable of of meaningful change because it's uh it's just it's so disappointing uh that that such wholesome beautiful games as these two Ori games were worked on under such ugly conditions it's awful uh before we go here let's see we've got a few minutes left let's do a little trivia uh we need to get some points on the board i think we need to get things spiced up 
Oh, I forgot to grab a question. Let me see if I can grab one in two seconds here before we go. Would see, I like thought I was I thought well, I was ahead of the game yesterday, getting the show all ready to go, but nope. Well, Sounds Ryan does that. Well, Ryan does that. <laughs> Definitely go play Tunic because that's on Game Pass. Yes. Yeah. March 17th, Shredders also hit. And there's some oh, there's yeah, some cool right. stuff there right now. So <laughs> right. Shredders, Shredders is really interesting. And Tunic, I highly recommend both of those. Destin, I thought you were going to bring up the controller. Also the fuzzy <laughs> controller. Oh, yeah, because I think our super producer, Kate, has has a photo ready to go. Mm. Right before we went live, I tweeted, pet start to play. Stop. And I was very oh. proud of that tweet. I was very oh, proud so of that good. tweet. <laughs> oh, my God, that's really good. There it is. <laughs> a time to play. <laughs> Uh, if you guys oh, are it's, watching. You know, it looks more like Elmo and Cookie Monster to me. That's what I was That's... thinking. <laughs> so so yeah. we're talking about the new Sonic like controllers. It's like a special edition Sonic Xbox Series X and the Paint controllers are fluffy. <laughs> <laughs> I, if you have to comb to find the buttons, we have a problem. Yeah. <sighs> I kind of like, like it though. I'd use that controller. Really? It look oh, like. Oh, yeah. A Cookie Monster Sesame Street character is the blue one. You're right. That's probably the most apt description. Who who's like who's the red character on Sesame Street? That's, that's what like I said, really Elmo. Not it's not even Elmo. There's another one that's like a big, really furry guy. Oh, Can't remember his name. The, and he has like an Or maybe it was nose? from the Muppets. Maybe it's from the Muppet guy. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, oh. yeah, Sonic 2 furry controllers. There you go. <laughs> That's a, we needed that to li lift the mood of the show yeah. back up. Yeah, uh, yeah. All right. So here's a trivia question that's in email. By the way, thanks to people. You can send in your Xbox trivia question, and I might read yours on the air. Unlocked at IGN.com. That's the email address. Put your question for multiple choice answers. Please note the correct one in your email and include your name and, if you want, your gamer tag as well. Uh, and this one comes from Scotty in Cleveland, Ohio. This is a good one. I lived through this. I remember this well. In response to the Red Ring of Death fiasco, Microsoft released an updated version of the Xbox 360 featuring a new motherboard, the one that would fix the Red Ring of Death problem. What was the code name of that motherboard, of those that Xbox revision? Was it the Zephyr, the Falcon, the Trinity, or the Jasper? See if any of you remember this. Uh, this one I know. Uh, Miranda's smiling and giggling. Destin's looking pretty straight face there. Stella's nodding really her weird. head no. <laughs> What's that, Miranda? These names are very strange. I mean, obviously I know the Red Ring of Death, but yeah. I don't yeah, know like the, the motherboard name. That's a, yeah, that's definitely I mean, like a Destin Destin. Destin someone was throwing <laughs> Destin a bone here. Oh, well, we'll find out. I'm gonna go era. <laughs> I'm gonna go to Stella first. Damn it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm just gonna go with the coolest sounding name. Zephyr, 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 Zephyr. 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 Okay, Did you're going with one. Zephyr. Yeah, whatever. It's Miranda. Cool. How about you? We'll go with Jasper in celebration of Twilight. Okay. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Destin, do you remember? Falcon Punch is what I'm going to go with, but I don't remember. So, yeah. so all right, you're each going with a different answer. I like yeah. that. Uh, the good news is we are, someone is going to get a point here. Let me just pull up. It's probably so Zephyr. Twilight. Who? It's so probably we have, Zephyr. Uh, Miranda and Destin at, and at two points. Stella at one. 
And uh, Miranda will take the lead here yeah! with three points. It is Jasper. It was the Jasper no, Xbox Columns 360 have never remedial. failed me. <laughs> nice job, Miranda. And thank you, Scotty from Cleveland, for sending in that excellent Xbox trivia question. Again, we'll play again next week, so do send in your questions, and I may choose yours. Miranda's just dying. <laughs> if anyone wants to throw me a bone, just make the answer C, because I pick C like 90% of the time. C's always a good guess. See, that's, uh, yeah, it's it's the default one. If you don't know the answer on the school test, you go with C. Jasper Um, is also an element, not an element, (laughs) uh, a geode, rock. I don't, man, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what I'm saying. Don't worry about it. It's been a while since I've been at school, okay? (laughs) okay. Uh, All right, let's let's get out of here, shall we? Let's do some plugs real quick. Stella, let me go to you for a little uh, little promo if you've got anything you want to let people know about. Uh, sure. So I stream at Twitch at Parallax Stella every night almost. Um, I am currently almost through Elden Ring. I am in like the third to last area. So if you want to see me bash some uh, bosses in with with my super strength build, you can catch me there. So yeah, that's, that's all I got. <laughs> Miranda? Uh, Jasper is an quartz it's red which is why i was like this this relates it's a stone i know it anyway so that's that's it um you can find me at having gross months havoc with the k on twitch twitter and everywhere else um please use our guides because we're working very hard on it we have a really nice tunic guide which my my boss has actually been contributing to which is really cool i always love it when he works on guides i'm just like go sam so we also have another writer on that who is leading the guide so um i hope you find that helpful Oh, you're, and you're probably going to need it. If you're playing yes. Tunic, it might be of use at some point in time. Yes. Destin? Yeah. Um, I mean, if you work with me at IGN, I have a lot of exciting one-on-ones coming up. So looking forward <laughs> to those. Uh, some freelancers I need to coordinate projects for. I got to do some screenings. So that's what I got going on for IGN. Uh, in all seriousness, though, uh, the last few weeks I promoted uh, a fundraiser for Ukraine and we beat that goal. So hey. thank you so much to anybody who contributed towards that. If you want to donate to Project Hope, as you probably are aware, there's a war happening between Ukraine and Russia right now. Uh, uh, Project Hope is a great cause. They donate clothing, they donate food, they help people get relocation assistance. So thank you to everybody who helped helped with that. And um, uh, that's it. That's it really for me. So thank you. And I hope you have a wonderful weekend, day, week. <laughs> well, it could be any time, depending when they're listening yeah. or watching. But uh, yeah. you can find me on Twitter at DMC underscore Ryan. And speaking of DMC, uh, I put together a piece that I just published today on IGN. It's everything we know so far about the new electric DeLorean. Because it turns out there's there have been some nuggets of information out there. So we know the IGN audience is eager to know about this because <laughs> when we when we covered the teaser reveal last month, it was the biggest story on the site for like a week. So uh, who better than to write about the new DeLorean than me? So I, I did just that. <laughs> If you care, go check that out on IGN. Uh, And that will wrap it up. So for Miranda, Stella, Destin, and our super producer, Kate, I'm Ryan. This was Podcast Unlocked, episode 536. Thank you to Andrew Scholdice. Go play Tunic on Game Pass, and we'll see you next week. Attention, fans of fairy tales that are magical, hilarious, and grim. 
The award-winning Pinna original podcast Grim, Grimmer, Grimmest has new episodes out now. While you've probably heard of the Brothers Grimm, you've never heard these tales told in quite this way. I'm Adam Gidwitz, best-selling and Newbery Honor author of Books for Children, and in Grim, Grimmer, Grimmest, I share the real, weird, grim fairy tales with real, weird, hilarious kids. In each episode, you not only get to hear a story, but you also get to enjoy this group guessing what'll happen next, cracking jokes, and sharing their own perspectives on the tales. Also, heckling me. They love to heckle me. The episodes are rated on a scale from grim to grimmer to grimmest, so there's always a great variety of tales to explore with your family. You can listen to Grim, Grimmer, Grimmest now wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow the show so you don't miss new episodes. <laughs>